that 365 sponsors our podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. It's third against fourth in the Bundesliga next weekend as Gladbach face Dortmund. Will Erling Haaland get back on the score sheet or will Lars Stindl be the match winner for Gladbach after his brace last week? With Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to build your own personalised bet. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello! It's the Stahlcast pod, brought to you by The Athletic. In this episode, anti-hot protests in the stands are off target as Hoffenheim against Bayern gets briefly suspended and finishes with some of the weirdest scenes since Germany played Austria at the 1982 World Cup. On the pitch, 6-0 Bayern are sons of war as Leipzig stumble. We ask, is the title race over? And there's news of Hertha fighting back from the omni-shambles of the Klinsmann Diaries. All of this and much more in Stahlcast. Welcome, dear listener, and also a warm welcome to this week's cast of Ultras. Kevin Hutchard, Christoph Beerman, and Archie Rintut. Delighted to have you all on board. Archie, let's start with you. You were there in Zinsheim. Can you explain for those who didn't see what happened, what happened? Sure. So, Bayern was 6-0 up against Hoffenheim when... The Bayern Munich fans, or a, a section of the ultras in the away end, unveiled a banner which said, Dietmar Hopp remains a son of a whore. And at that point, the referee, uh, Christian Dinger, took, uh, he didn't take the players off, but he stopped the game. Uh, you had Hansi Flick go over to the Bayern fans. He was furious at them. You also had a few Bayern players go over to them. And the game stopped for a few minutes, then continued. After that, the game then got stopped for a second time, and it was at that point that Dinger took the players off. And this is because the Bayern fans, or these Bayern ultras, were trying to protest, uh, like the Borussia Mönchengladbach fans were last week, against collective punishments that the DFB, have, ha- having previously said that they wouldn't hand them down, have handed down to Borussia Dortmund for their away games at Hoffenheim in the future but also pro-fan ownership, pro-50 plus one. That is why you protest against Dietmar Hopp. However, it's the strength of the words used that is the problem here for Hopp and for the authorities. And it led to quite a bizarre situation where I think we're seeing the strongest protest we've seen or, or the strongest action taken in German football so far where the game is stopped because of what the fans are saying. And it just makes you wonder when the same wasn't happening for Jordan Turunariga of Hertha a few weeks ago, where exactly the line is. We get back to those past incidents in a second. But first of all, the players did come back and then they did play probably the most bizarre 13 minutes of the Bundesliga ever. Christoph, you went to an analytics congress the other day. How will they deal with, with the stats for this? <laughs> well, well, the, the, the stats will be terrible. I mean, any, every analyst will be uh, devastated if, if you look at it because, I mean, what they... It wasn't even a, a training session or so. It was just like some bloke standing on the beach and um, because it's too hot, they are... 
lazily uh, lazy kicking the ball around. Um, you, you had to be afraid that they may, might uh, uh, catch a cold or so. Um, yeah, so so it was a travesty of a football match, and it. But but um, uh, the players, so uh, that's what they told afterwards. They wanted to send out a sign, um, a message to to the fans that they found the behavior unacceptable. And the game ended when it really ended with both teams uh, almost arm in arm in front of the uh, Hoffenheim crowd applauding uh, their chance for Dietmar Hopp, Dietmar Hopp um, close to Karl Rummenig, the Bayern chief executive um, being um, celebrated to an extent and being shown a lot of respect. Kevin, as an outsider to a certain extent, what do you make of this? I think this is a, a seminal moment in the sense that it will lift the lid on a debate that's been raging for quite some time. I mean, the collective punishment that Archie talked about, this is what's really sparked it because it's not just some Dortmund fans that have been told they can't go to the next two away games at Hoffenheim. It's all of them. And so therefore, there's been this pushback from ultras in general who have shown solidarity with each other. And it's a really difficult balance to strike, I think, now, because the league prides itself on fan atmosphere. The league sells its product, if you like, around the world based on having the best atmosphere of any league on the planet. Now, the ultras, whether people like it or not, are a big part of creating that atmosphere. So there has to somehow now be dialogue between the authorities and the ultra groups about what the two sides want and about how you go forward. Because it's one thing for everybody to round on the ultras, and, and I don't agree with the uh, strength of the language used. I certainly don't agree with putting Dietmar Hopp in crosshairs. I think that's absolutely outrageous. But I do agree there should be a right to protest. So that needs to be protected. But it's how that protest is actioned. And I think there does need to be dialogue because if there isn't, then there's going to be an impasse because I think the authorities to an extent need the ultras and the ultras obviously want to make their point. Christoph, it's probably, um, there's probably a consensus here that the ultras went a little bit too far. Equally, is there a real danger that the authorities now and the, the public echo to what's happening is going also too far the other way? Uh, there was a game that you went to um, between Union Berlin and Wolfsburg where the game was stopped for a anti-hot banner that was not insulting. So is there a danger that the backlash is almost worse than the initial offence? The problem really is that a lot of things get mixed together now that probably don't belong to, together. So if you're talking about Dietmar Hopp and the abuse he, he is facing now, in a way, it's not about Dietmar Hopp. Um, it, it's about what, what we already discussed it, about this collective punishment and Dietmar Hopp is only a kind of symbol uh, uh, for this because um, the capital punishment will uh, the, oh, so, the, sorry the collective um, we're not there punishment yet will, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not there yet. yeah yeah um, collective punishment will, will um, take place at his stadium because he he was um, uh, over many years, um, uh, uh, quite um, aggressively to an extent, also um, 
uh, were, were after these people who were in, insulting him. And um, but but it, it's not not so much about Dietmar Hopp. And then you, you have these acts of solidarity at uh, different stadiums. You mentioned Union Berlin. There was something similar at Bochum in the second division because um, the ultras of Bochum are friends with the Schickeria of Bayern Munich. And I think we will uh, see this um, uh, maybe uh, in the week at the German Cup matches, quarterfinal or, or on the next weekend. And um, and uh, as, as you already said, there is um, there was a lot of um, heavy, heavy language from the side of, of the officials from FA, uh, uh, German FA uh, president uh, Fritz Keller from from uh, various people from from the Bundesliga and and a lot of people had the feeling uh, or the impression that it's it's a bit unbalanced that they come out very heavily in this situation that might be right where they didn't come out in uh, in various other situations um, Archie already mentioned uh, Toruna Riga who was racially abused um, in a cup match uh, some weeks ago when he was uh, when Hertha was playing at Schalke and um, so um, we have a very overheated discussion right now and and Kevin is is uh, is absolutely right um, we, everybody has to cool down and uh, people have to start talking to each other instead of yelling at each other. Raf, I'm not sure that people are going to cool down. That, that, that's part of the issue. And, and particularly, Christoph mentions there the language of the officials. They're unhappy with the ultras for insulting them. But if you look at what the officials are saying, they're just insulting them back, really. And it's... <laughs> It's a shame to see the way that the ultras as a whole are just being tarred with the same brush because these are the guys who are standing up against homophobia, against racism, for human rights in Qatar. And you might remember as well a few weeks ago during the Bayern against uh, RB Leipzig game that they did a choreo for the Holocaust victims as well. So I, I would say that Fritz Keller's performance on Das Aktuelle Sports Studio on, on Saturday, the German equivalent, I guess, or a German equivalent of match of the day, where he said some equally strong things, calling them Kaorten, meaning anarchists. But he did at least eventually say that it's only an element of the ultras, but the overall message he was giving is, I think, only going to escalate this thing further. I think you're right. I have a real problem with people calling them idiots and yobs and, and criminals, um, disregarding that there is an underlying political message. You might not disagree with the means, but I think there's a real difference between that and hooliganism uh, in yeah. the sense that people get hurt or um, you know, there's, there's things done with lasting damage. This is a political protest um, of sorts. We can disagree with um, the language being used. We can disagree with some of the symbolism of the crosshairs, but I think it's a bit disingenuous to pretend that these are sort of terrorists in the stands destroying football. Let's talk a little bit about the racism. Um, the one thing I would say about the Toronto Riga uh, incident is that it is more difficult for the referee to react to um, some isolated chants that he perhaps has not heard, whereas a banner is there in black and white. Everyone sees it. Um, it's the proof is there, if you will, and it's much, much easier 
I think, for them to get the authorities involved and, and issue a warning. And uh, unlike chance, they, these banners can easily be withdrawn and that's the end of the matter. So I'm not 100% sure where, um, you know, if the comparisons are apt. What I do find interesting or what I do want to see is whether, of course, that sort of zero tolerance stand will, will be carried forward. Uh, what do we think here? Um, Kevin, is this now going to be a clinically free pr- sort of sterile environment where you can't insult opposition teams and the referee? Well, is that is that what's going to happen? I hope not. I, I hope that there is going to be some balance to it. I-, I think it's been really interesting that a big feature of the debate has been why was this three-step procedure used uh, to protect... Um, you know, they keep describing Dietmar Hopp as a white billionaire and it wasn't used to protect Jordan Tarunariga. I think you're absolutely right, uh, Raf, that it is much more difficult in some cases to ascertain whether there has been racist abuse at that time. Whereas if you can see a whacking great banner, that's not a hard thing to, to judge. Now, I think people have looked at it the wrong way. I think people are saying, why didn't you use it in the past? Well, now the template has been set. This has now happened. And so if we have an incident where there is clear racist abuse, then there is a pathway now for the referees to actually act. And this has been this protocol, this three step protocol has been around for quite a while, but there was a reminder to referees at a meeting in February uh, that it is at their disposal and they should use it if necessary. So now that this has been done in such a high-profile match, in such a high-profile way, hopefully it will now be applied across the board when the abuse, whatever it happens to be, be it racism or homophobia, then it can be applied equally across the board. Schalke have announced that they um, will divert from the three-step protocol and go to a zero-step protocol, whereby any banners of this nature will be immediately uh, answered with the team teams withdrawing and the game being abandoned. Now, is that really a wise decision? I mean, I just imagine one guy turning up with an anti-hot banner and basically getting the whole game called off. I mean... Surely that is not that sensible a way of dealing with this, is it, uh, Christoph? Uh, no, it isn't. Um, uh, and what, what you already mentioned, the Union match on, on Sunday against Wolfsburg, where there was some confusion because um, they um, uh, the, the, um, uh, the Ultras put, uh, put out a banner that was uh, uh, criticizing uh, the uh, German FA and there was, it was a banner against... Um, uh, this collective punishment and uh, the the referee already stopped to the uh, surprise of everybody in the stadium uh, the match so that was already the kind of not not the kind of the first step and you were thinking yeah yeah but 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 that's not an insult um, that is not a uh, something um, you, you had to react on uh, on the pitch. I mean, later on, there were these um, son of a whore banners and crosshairs with with uh, a hop and and okay, and the the teams um, because it was already step two um, uh, went uh, left the pitch and and went back to the dressing room for for some minutes or to the players' tunnel. But 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 this first thing so. 
uh, you see that there uh, seems to be a kind of confusion and you're, you're absolutely right if you have a, a kind of one step or zero step uh, policy um, how, how will you deal with it and um, to come back to this um, uh, Union Wolfsburg uh, thing because I think it's pretty telling so um, obviously what I heard afterwards the uh, Wolfsburg ultras had already um, uh, were already prepared to put something up but as soon as it was already step two. <laughs> they um, uh, they left it as it is because they didn't want want to to stop the match. So that's all a bit um, bizarre and over the top. And and I think uh, the German FA should find a a, a, a solution um, where everybody that everybody is following and not uh, special things. But I. But I also want to, to say something with all the sympathy I having uh, for for the uh, protest. I think the symbolism and uh, against hop is 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 not very helpful. Also for the ultras because um, there is a lot of sympathy from uh, from other football supporters um, uh, for, for their protest, but there is not a lot of sympathy for the symbolism they they have and they. I think they would be well advised if they, uh, uh, yeah, uh, w w would reduce uh, their um, their protest to to something that is acceptable. Maybe not for the officials, but for uh, the majority of German football supporters. Some Bayern Munich supporters did release a statement explaining that the attention necessary for. Uh, their ideas, their ideals, uh, warranted or perhaps needed. Uh, that kind of symbolism, I, I'm not sure that's exactly a convincing argument, especially now when the, all the attention is there. I think it's uh, probably a, a chance wasted. Now, I think before we leave this, we have to go to one deeper level. Uh, Christoph, you touched on this, uh, Archie, you too. This is not just about hop. This is not even just about collective punishment and the idea that we don't, what they don't want, investment in, in Bundesliga clubs. This is about a cultural battle for who kind of owns football and who should be in charge. Where is this battle going? And is this just a start or is this the high high noon and from now on things will quieten down eventually? What do you think? I'll start with you, Archie. This is just the start of it. And I think it's it's almost the beginning of the end. I see it as well because... This is the way that football is going. But here in Germany, in comparison to the other big five leagues in Europe, they are able to fight against it. I, I, I would say the move towards commercialism much more effectively because they have fan ownership and they do have their say in the club in a lot of cases. But you see in just the way that the Bundesliga table is steadily evolving through the years now, the way that more and more clubs with the most money and investor-led uh, backing are, are shifting their way up the table. That not Hamburg. Not Hamburg, no, <laughs> quite. And, uh, and not Hertha either. <laughs> but, but you see it and it, it just makes you think. The, the thing, I was, I was sitting in the stadium in, in Hoffenheim after the game and, and I was just... Just thinking that I don't see, I, I, I think that the ultras perform a, an important role on the whole, 
But I think that right now they're in a very worrying predicament because it's about who garners the support of the moderates here. And the moderates are generally watching the TV and you look at the TV reaction and the media reaction here and it's been, there's been no real nuance shown at all. And I think that right now your average football fan who still just wants to watch football will probably be more on the side of Dietmar Hopp and, and what happened there than on the side of the ultras because of what was said. And that is the problem. That is the thing that Christoph has said there. It, they need to think carefully, the ultras, about what their next steps are. The interesting thing about the view of Hop, I think, is that if you took his story, uh, investing in his local club that he played for as a youngster in their youth setup, if you transpose that to England, for example, and we talked about a guy who'd done that and taken his club from being effectively a village club um, to being in the Champions League, in England, they would never shut up about it as a positive story. They would think that that was something of a fairy tale. But obviously, in German football, there is this this kind of willingness to sneer at anything new. And I understand that Hop and the emergence of RB Leipzig, they threaten the traditions, they threaten 50 plus one, which is a central plank of German football. But I think it's not maybe a uniquely German thing, but I think it is unusual because I think if you took that hop story and put it elsewhere, it wouldn't attract the same amount of spite that I think it does in Germany. Are you calling him the German Dave Whelan, Kev? Uh, yes, well, uh, he was uh, he was compared <laughs> with Jack Walker at uh, Blackburn's finest recently, and I think Blackburn's look... slightly bigger than Sinsheim. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you compare them, you look at the way that you know guys like Jack Walker uh, were respected at the time, not by all, but by many in English football when Blackburn emerged. Then you know I think it would be looked on more favourably. So I think that's a really in- I've always felt. As long as I've covered German football, that's a really interesting thing because I think there is a feeling if you haven't been around forever and you're not one of the big iconic clubs, then people don't like you getting uppity and not knowing your place. I I would disagree on that because uh, you also have smaller clubs like uh, Paderborn, for example, that has a similar pedigree than uh, TSG Hoffenheim that has been in the wilderness for many years. And um, they also had some kind of uh, sugar daddy, a a very uh, small sugar daddy. And he was also not bending the 50 plus, plus one rule. Um, uh, Fink is his name. He's 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 dead now. But um, they 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 managed to um, develop uh, develop uh, the club over over many years with a lot of work and not with this kind of uh, what I I would call financial doping because it's financial doping in the circumstances of of German football because not everybody is having it and. Um, but 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 you're right. It's a it's a cultural debate of about what kind of uh, football you want to to have, and I think the majority of um, of football supporters um, still is in favor of of the model we are having. But it's it's an ongoing uh, discussion because um, a lot of people in, in in football would like to alter it. Um, that's that's also for sure, and uh, maybe they. 
they try to take the chance of the um, Hoffenheim incidents to go at their biggest opposition. But to, to come back to, to uh, Ruff's question at the beginning, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic that uh, things might uh, cool down, uh, maybe not tomorrow or uh, not today and tomorrow, but, but in, in days to come, because um, we have a lot of, uh, so, so something special about the German football as well is that we have a lot of uh, fan organization and also moderators like the German fan projects, for example, um, that uh, that have an influence uh, on both sides, so that uh, ha that help to establish or sustain communication uh, channels. And uh, what I said that we stop uh, yelling at each other and uh, start talking again. And um, if both sides uh, uh, turn down the volume a bit in in the next days, maybe. Uh, we have a chance to to get to somewhere. Okay, that's a really good and hopefully uplifting place to, to leave this discussion. We'd like to pause for a brief minute to ask you, our faithful listeners, to click into the show notes for today's episode and then follow the link to a very short survey. You hopefully know a lot about us here at Stahlcast Pod by now, but we don't know much about you. The survey is 11 super simple questions and will take you less than 60 seconds, I promise. So head to the show notes for today's episodes and click on the link. Thank you. And let's turn to events on the pitch. Uh, Bayern did win the game, or at least the first 77 minutes when there was a real game. 6-0. Uh, they also, of course, won 3-0 away to Chelsea midweek. Is this the best Bayern since Pep? Archie Rintat. Yes. I was sitting there in the first half and thinking, this team's fun to watch again. I mean, admittedly, Hoffenheim were moving about as much as they did in the final 15 minutes in the <laughs> 60 minutes when the game was on as well. But this side looked dynamic, looked very clinical. And even, I say, even with Joshua Tsiaksi up front, Tsiaksi looked very good indeed. The way he was integrating into the, into the, the system going forward. And the fact that even... Even little Phil Coutinho scores twice as well shows you just how how well things were going going forward. I I still love watching Alfonso Davies just open up and run. I've now seen him tear apart in a sprint race the three quickest players or three of the quickest players in the league in Deo Pimacano, Dodi Lukabakio, and then on Saturday Elas Bebu as well. I, I, I've not seen somebody with wheels quite like Alfonso Davies, but I think you look at Bayern, John Harding was saying last week that they're dark horses for the Champions League. I, I, th I think they might even be in a higher status than that right now, particularly the way that they pulled Chelsea apart. They still do have, I think, weaknesses at the back that are there to be taken advantage of, but right now they're so strong going forward that, yeah, this is definitely the best Bayern side since Pep, that's for sure. They might be a light horse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, a pony. Uh, a bit more thoroughbred than, than a pony thing. But this is, this, is real, this is really the question, Christoph. I mean, as, as fans of Bundesliga, we were happier, I guess, when Bayern were weak and opening up the, the title race and, and letting others in and making it interesting. Now that they're playing at this level again, it's, it's impossible almost to see anyone else but Bayern winning uh, the league. But at the same time, they also have a real chance of doing something in, in Europe. Should we feel pleased about this? Should we, should we 
be worried? How do you see it as a, as a complete neutral in this? The first thing that surprised me, I think we, we have to, 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 to remind us that um, Robert Lewandowski is injured. So, so everybody was so the the big thing uh, uh, for for months and and all, almost years around Bayern Munich was there's one thing that can never happen because that would be the most devastating thing that can happen that and it's a Robert Lewandowski injury and you score six in in the first match without uh, Robert Lewandowski that's quite impressive and yes. Um, I've been saying that for, for also here for 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 many weeks. Uh, they they are the huge favorite for for me for winning the um, the German uh, um, championship, and they uh, you, you can see it now. And um, but 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 on the other hand side, we we have some some other uh, uh, good sides in the Bundesliga now. So so my feeling is that the Bundesliga as a whole has um, um, uh, has uh, developed forward. So the quality for, of more teams is uh, better than the years, the last two or three years when it, it was too much of a one horse race, uh, not a one pony race. And um, and and so altogether, I'm not, not, not unhappy. So uh, Bayern is playing fantastic football. Borussia Dortmund, not, not on Saturday, but they're also able to do it. We have other interesting teams like Leipzig and Leverkusen and Borussia Mönchengladbach. You see it in, in Europe that they the clubs are doing well. So um, I, I wasn't that optimistic about the um, shape of the Bundesliga in recent years, but uh, think uh, seem to have um, developed positively. I think just quickly to add to that, you look at the fact that the top five clubs in the division right now, Bayern, Leipzig, Dortmund, Gladbach and Leverkusen, Sure, they have continued to lose quality players over the years in, in the shape of Leipzig, Dortmund, Gladbach and Leverkusen anyway. But the fact that they have managed to get, I would say, coaches who are optimal for them, particularly in the case of Gladbach and Leipzig with Nagelsmann uh, at Leipzig and, and Roser at Gladbach, I think that's made a big difference. And you can see it by the fact that Germany has a 100% record in 2020 in, in all European games. I think you're right. I think that is encouraging. There are some generally exciting players and there's some generally exciting young managers in the league at the moment. You wonder how long it's going to last, but for the time being, we need to enjoy it as much as possible. But then the next question is this one, Kevin. Is the title race over or can we somehow conjure up a reality where Leipzig will come back into it and Dortmund perhaps for all their problems? will still trouble Bayern. I mean, we, we talked about this, I think, the, the other week, that Dortmund are already thinking about this showdown against Bayern in April and thinking if we only stay close enough, maybe we do still have a chance. What do you think? I think for neutrals, they will look towards that classica and they will also look towards uh, the game at Leverkusen and they will hope that there are a couple of games where Bayern will slip up. They've also got a home game coming up uh, towards the end of the season against Borussia Mönchengladbach. I think if Bayern do win the title, then I think that is a slight concern because you'll have had two seasons running where they'll have had a big part of the season where they were spluttering and not playing remotely well, and yet they still managed to recover and win the league. My concern about Leipzig is they look a bit, uh, by Julian Nagelsmann's own admission, a little bit 
tired, a little bit sluggish at times. And that game against Leverkusen on Sunday is yet another example of a game against uh, either a title rival or a fellow top five side where A, they didn't put in a full 90-minute performance and B, they didn't win. So they haven't been losing those games, but they haven't been winning them either. So they don't feel quite ready to make the step uh, to win the Meisterschale yet. Dortmund have been impressed by their consistency in 2020, but you still wonder whether one of those defensive horror shows is coming at some stage. So I think the feeling is that Bayern will win it, but what we hope as neutrals is that there will be a few thrills and spills along the way. Okay, and before we go, we have to talk about Schalke. Another bad defeat for them, another goalkeeping um, controversy, mistake, a bad reaction. I was convinced that David Wagner would sort them out. Am I wrong? Again, Christoph. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Schalke has a lot of problems right now. I think it's probably starting with the... Um, um, offensive part of, of their game because they are not scoring anymore or at least they are not scoring enough anymore and um, uh, as you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of, of these uh, statistics and stuff when, when you're looking at their expected goal rate in the first part of the season um, they were actually overperforming and you could see that they scored a lot of goals from um, uh, poor chances. Um, uh, in the end, uh, they were a bit uh, lucky, uh, and that was over painting in a way the um, the uh, performance in general. And now they're having serious problems because with injuries. Suatzada is out. Ozan uh, Kabak maybe is also out because he injured himself at the match in in Cologne and and, and some other players as well. And then the, you had this. Um, Partly self-inflicted uh, problem with uh, Alexander Nübel. He is a very talented goalkeeper, but he is signed for Bayern Munich next season. Obviously, the board um, or the uh, at, at Schalke was very unhappy about the the dealing and kind of criticized him uh, openly. Fans were frustrated because it was the like for them it was a flashback of uh, what happened when Manuel Neuer went to um, uh, Bayern Munich uh, many years ago and and so there is a a lot of things um, that you have have to deal with and um, and I, I, I think um, uh, we will see in, in the next week that um, uh, Schalke will completely drop out of the race uh, for the international places. I think there's been a bit of a perfect storm for them in attack because Suat Serdar, who Christoph quite rightly mentioned there, they are not simply not the same team when he's not in it because he drives forward from midfield. He's been one of the very few players in that team who's been able to link midfield and attack. Amin Aris has been their creative heartbeat all season, but he has dropped off in terms of his form since he agreed his new contract. Now, I'm not necessarily saying the two are linked, but that is simply the case. The body language hasn't been great when things haven't been going well and they haven't managed to get him involved in games. He hasn't exactly been scrapping to, to fight his way into them. Also, I think there's a problem in attack because for whatever reason... David Wagner does not seem to trust 
Ahmed Kutuju from the start. And I don't really understand that because I think he's a much more interesting and dynamic striker than the guys they already have. So uh, I think as a result of all those problems, what they've done is they've reverted to Tedesco ball. It's kind of horrible, long ball, um, grotesque attacking play where they don't combine, they don't even try and play sparkling football, and it's really damaged them. I think Tedesco ball is what Serie A used to call the Bundesliga a few years ago, but um, <laughs> things have, have progressed by and large. Um, Archie, the last word goes to you. Um, we knew, I guess, that Schalke would struggle this year. We knew, I guess, that the Europa League would be a achievement of sort, uh, perhaps even um, beyond them. So the fact that they are still in the top half of the Bundesliga, should that be seen maybe if we uh, dis detach ourselves from the recent games as still being in line with what what they can do realistically? Or is Wagner the latest casualty in uh, another failed attempt to, to sort things out for the good? What do you think? I think he might turn out to be the latest casualty, but we'll have to wait and see that till next season because ultimately this is an improvement on what happened last season, which was an, an absolute nightmare for them. But I'm with Christoph and Kev here. I'm not convinced at all about the way things are going, particularly the way that things are handled off the field. Although I remember that it, it, it's funny to see the way things turn around a year ago, Away at Mainz, I was there as things crumbled down. They lost 3-0. They could have lost about six. And all the fans were, were singing, apart from Nubel, all of you can go. And then a year on, they're singing, they're singing Nubel out. It, it, shows, it shows you how, how quickly things can turn in football. But, but equally, with Nubel, I, I, feel, I feel a bit sorry for him. I think... The, the club making him captain at the start of the season was a weird move. And, and the fact he was very close to tears on Saturday, I think that Schalke have mismanaged this situation. And not the only situation that they've mismanaged this season when you look at the fact that Chairman Clemens Turnis is still there as well. So, yeah, there's, there's still a lot of things to be sorted out. And I think that the difference between Schalke and the other big clubs in the league is 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 the way that they are being managed off the field and i think sporting success without that in the long term is very difficult to have okay um to one club um in trouble to another club who is um also in trouble uh, hertha now they came back with a rousing second half performance to get a 3-3 draw away to dusseldorf but this came uh, in a week that was possibly even worse than the ultras, Christoph? Uh, no, it wasn't worse, but it was at least more, more bizarre. I think uh, the um, uh, the Klinsmann diaries um, are, are one of the uh, uh, yes, well, I said most bizarre uh, uh, papers in uh, in uh, recent years, maybe ever in the history of, of the Bundesliga. Uh, Jürgen Klinsmann was uh, uh, keeping obviously a, a diary during his uh, 76 days at, as a Hertha uh, manager and um, and he wrote it all down how um, how stupid uh, the management of the club is, uh, how how unfriendly they were treated and so on and so in the, in the end is um, 
Um, I'm, I, I was very good and you were very stupid uh, in, in many words <laughs> over, over many pages. Uh, I think that was a bottom line. What was great about this as well was that he listed the qualities of every single player yeah. in the squad. <laughs> and one of the players was the backup goalkeeper, Thomas Kraft, who he said is always injured, always ill, cannot add any value. Kraft uh, had uh, kind of made a jokey allusion to that on social media in the week leading up to the game. He was then given the opportunity to start ahead of Rudy Yarstein. They were 3-0 down at half-time. Kraft gave this rousing speech at half-time, basically did the job of Alexander Nuri, the coach, and got the team going. And after Vladimir Darida chased down a loose ball to get a cross in for what turned out to be an own goal from Eric Tommy, that completely changed the match and they ended up drawing 3-3. The funny thing about Kraft is he almost proved Klinsman correct before the game because a couple of weeks before it, he was bitten on the hand by a dog and they thought that he was going to be out. He was bitten like so. This big bite, and it was deep cut on his hand as well. And they thought he was going to be out for quite some time, but he actually managed to get fit for the game. And as it turned out, he made some critical saves, and they got a point. Alexander Nuri, uh, for those who are keeping track, is now on one win in twenty-four. I think I'm right in saying. Yes, marvelous um, record. Does that fill you with confidence that Hertha will stay up? In a way, yes. And that has had very much to do with the um, uh, match at Dusseldorf because maybe he was not the guy who was uh, giving the uh, talk at halftime, but he made the correct uh, tactical changes. And from, from the outside, it, uh, for, it looked strange because he, he, he changed uh, defensively. Uh, but that turned the match around because uh, with that Hertha got uh, Fortuna Düsseldorf under control and um, and were at least able to start uh, playing attacking football. So that was um, good coaching, uh, I thought. But um, uh, but but that is um, a, a, a small sign of hope for for Nuri. So let's so let's wait and. Uh, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable to predict more than um, slight optimism. They've got a 10-point gap between themselves and the automatic relegation places, which is where Werder Bremen are. So Werder Bremen are going to have to be 10 points better than them in their final. Bremen obviously have a game in hand because their game at Frankfurt, or their game against Frankfurt got cancelled. You think that Hertha will be able to edge over the line, but I wouldn't say it will be with any, any great... Uh, any, any great aplomb, but actually, funnily enough, this coming weekend, Hertha are playing Bremen. Let's see. Let's see indeed. Well, that's all we got time for this week. Um, a lot of stuff to go through, some of it less amusing than Hertha-based here, but it uh, had, had to be mentioned on this pod. <laughs> Thank you very much to Kevin, Archie and Christopher for tuning in. Thank you, listeners. I hope you'll be with us next week. Bye-bye.